Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I'm AJ. I'm Frank. And we got a special one here for you guys today. It is the final entry of the Roger Moore 007 James Bond films. And here with us today to break down uh, this crazy feature is my good buddy, my man, Mark Henley. What up? It's, my name is Mark Henley. I'm uh, the big dog. Uh, I call. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Wait, are you the are you the big dog now? I think so. Okay, I, that's I, good. I started ramping up to like do like a big a big start of like I'm the big dog. You're my man. Starting to do like all this stuff, but then I was like, I don't. Maybe this isn't the tone of the show. You know. <laughs> Is the tone of the show where we call all ourselves the big dog and yell a lot? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to trying to lay back and let you guys be the big dogs. We'll, we'll get there. Maybe we, we do get to that level. We'll see. <laughs> Depends how much you like this movie, I guess. <laughs> so this week we checked out uh, of You to a Kill from 1985, um, which was a movie. Uh, so we're here to break it down. But before we get into that, I just want to hit up a few of the – comedy deets so you can uh, find our friend uh mr henley mark henley where can the people find you oh my name is mark henley h-e-n-e-l-y i'm at mark henley on instagram and twitter and stuff i also have a uh a uh, youtube series i do called snack attack where me and my friend ben we try to figure out who's better at snacks uh better at picking them you know cooking them things like that uh i was very fat and he is very skinny and now I'm only a little fat, but he is still very skinny. And I think I know more about snacks because he just has, he doesn't know the research, you know? <laughs> he has like a lot of hours. He's like 110 pounds. He has no idea how to eat. Uh, and I, I've eaten, you know, uh, very poorly and well. And so I think, I think my resume speaks for itself. <laughs> um, but we, we have those. So you can check those out. I also have a podcast with him and also uh, Bobby Sheehan and Ben Miller. No, I, I said Ben Miller already. And Matt Marin. Uh, called the Super Seniors, uh, where we uh, yell at each other, and I declare myself the big dog. All sorts of fun things. So uh, awesome. check that out. That sounds that sounds great. Um, so one of my favorite things to do is because it's one of my dreams to be invited onto another person's podcast. But if I was going to be on somebody else's podcast, I would want somebody to ask me, AJ, uh, how'd you get started in comedy? How long have you been doing comedy? So Mark, yeah, how'd you get started? And how long have you been doing it, my friend? First off, I think Frank should ask you that one day. Maybe. You know, you've been doing <laughs> it never asked you. Um, I've been – I did comedy a little bit in college, but I didn't really uh, take it seriously until I was a little bit older. Uh, so I've been basically hitting it hard for the past, like, six years now. And I started doing it a lot because uh, – like, I started doing it more seriously because I was living in East Harlem and bored. And uh, I had nothing to do at night, so I was like, I could just go do stand-up. And uh, that's kind of uh, the main imp impetus, I believe. Boredom. Um, that's oh. awesome. Uh, in so in doing the like, so I know you from like the subculture open mic, which is where I where I met you. Yeah. Um, but I think you're probably a little bit more established and grounded throughout New Jersey. Is, are there any other venues or places uh, you love playing that you kind of credit to, or even in New York City from East Harlem that you were kind of like rocking and rolling at for a long time? Well, I've been all over the place. I, I, I started in East Harlem because uh, I moved to East Harlem to like be uh, a writer or an artist or something and uh, uh, managed to do it for a year before I ran out of money. And towards the end of it, I started stand up. And then I had to move back in with my mom down by the shore. So I spent a few years down there uh, doing like uh, 
mixed mics, like a lot of poetry readings and stuff. Um, and uh, spent a lot of time at some coffee shop called the Revolutionary Lounge, uh, nice. where a slam poet would run an open mic, and I would go do that every week. And then, uh, um, you know, after that, I like came up to, to Jersey City, and I'd do stuff around here. And uh, different, I've done, done like the Stress Factory, the Stand, Creek in the Cave, Grizzly Pear, like a bunch of different places. Although it feels weird to say all that now because now we're like in, you know, the end of the world. So everything's closed. And the biggest venues are basically just like the Wawa Social Club and uh, some guy's backyard. <laughs> yeah. guy in New Brunswick with a great backyard. You guys got to check that backyard out. <laughs> the internet is a big place these days. <laughs> it always was big, but now it's really what we rely on. Yeah, basically. It's crazy. Uh, you know, I think the whole podcasting scene was very lucky to um, have the everything kind of set up and, and to be able to kind of continue to like to move on and groove on in certain ways. I feel bad for the guys who do live podcasts though. I guess that must be like really, really tough because first of all, you can't really perform the way people want to hear your format, but then you got to do other things. Anywho. Um, so today's discussion is uh, of you to a kill. I'm going to turn this over to uh, Frank. Yes, sir. My friend, what did you think of this film? You know, um, I think it was a little bit better than the last one. Um, it's not my favorite Roger Moore. It's kind of like, I feel like they did a good job sending him off into the sunset. Um, but also like this movie could have been so much better. Like you've got Christopher Walken as your villain and Grace Jones. Like, I don't know. It was just kind of all over the place. Uh, I hated the horse stuff and that took up so much time. A lot of horse, <laughs> a lot of horses. Uh, which I mean makes sense in like terms of James Bond world, and we've seen it before. Um, and you know, I guess it's just one of those things that fancy people like to do. Um, but yeah, I I'm don't not know. too I, far. I'm not too far off from your opinion, my friend. I, I, I'm I'm glad we're gonna land someplace in the same ballpark on this. Yeah. Um, Mark, uh, what's your experience with James Bond? Are you a fan? Did you like the movies growing up? I've seen very little James Bond. I've only seen two before this. I saw oh, which ones. Uh, Skyfall and Spectre. There you go. Yeah, those are two excellent entries to begin with. Yeah, the most recent ones. And I've tried watching other ones in the past, but I, I always felt like I couldn't get into them. Like, I couldn't quite fo like follow the plot for some reason. And uh, so I watched this one and had a very similar problem. I think if I'm not in a movie theater, I have, very hard, I have a hard time following the plot with any James Bond movie. So I, I, I watched all of it because we were doing this, but otherwise I would have been like, I don't know what's happening. You know, no, I, at, at any given time, I have no idea what's happening in these movies. I feel you. A big help for us, I think, in the past couple of watches, at least for me on my end, maybe Frank can speak to this, is watching with the subtitles on. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, I think in the past, um, you kind of have to assume what these guys are talking about the whole time. Yeah. Whereas when you have the subtitles, it's easier to pinpoint the expositional scenes or as we call them talkie talkie parts uh <laughs> to kind of full you know full flesh out what's actually about to take place um so you hadn't seen like the brosnan ones at all ever uh no like i've seen clips of them like i've seen i saw one where brosnan was skiing and he jumped and something exploded and then oh, i've God. seen like some of uh dr no and I've seen some sort of Roger Moore. I've seen a lot of a lot of James Bond skiing scenes before. There are a lot of uh, skiing scenes. <laughs> this one started out with some great skiing. I was very excited. 
when he was like skiing and guys were like shooting guns uh, while he was skiing. I was like, this is this is sick. I love this movie. This is going to be great. <laughs> Two and a half hours of uh, shooting guns and skiing. Uh, and then he fucking he gets. I don't know if this is a spoiler too soon, but after he skis a little bit, he gets a fucking snowboard. And like nine right. five, he starts snowboarding, and they, they're playing uh, Beach Boys. Uh, what was it? Uh, California Girls. California Beach Girls Boys. by Beach Boys. And I was like, this is awesome. Uh, that guy probably shooting a gun while he's skiing would fall over. Uh, but he's not. Because <laughs> like, like there's a sport in the Olympics where you uh, you shoot guns and ski, but they always stop and aim. Biathlon. Yeah, biathlon. They don't do it as they're skiing, you know? Uh, but they're doing it and like not hitting them because why would they? They're skiing. Um, but I, I was, it was very exciting. It was almost like triple X esque. You guys, you, you see triple X? Oh man, oh, shit. a long time ago, yeah. Oh my yeah, god, triple X I think could go in the adjacent movies now. <laughs> he he out snowboards like an avalanche at one point in that movie. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Xander <great>. Cage. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Vin Diesel is like. He's a fucking gen- once in a generation level action star, man. Like he's a fucking gift to humanity. Like yeah. th- he that my favorite scene that he does is when they know that they're about to get dragged out of the back of the plane that it's not going to land and they're going to fucking they're going to get ripped out and he like realizes that before anything else happens. He's like, "I live for the shit." <laughs> I love that shit. That's awesome. Yeah, as we're talking, I think I wish this movie was triple X. I think I might be dumb. <laughs> no, no, no. I I can't you know follow what? this James Bond movie. I wish it was more like Triple X. I think I'm a dumb guy, but you know what? We'll, it's, it's what happens, you know? No, no, no. The You know what? We're so... I wish there was a Netflix category called Tight 90, man. That would be like my shit. Yeah. Just a 90-minute movie that's got like some great action, you know, maybe you know a love scene so that Shayna will want to pay attention. Just like just something, just <laughs> hit all the parts and then it put me to bed. That's all I need. That- that's like the 90s movies, though. Like, 80s, 90s action movies would do that. I think James Bond, they, like, feel like they need to bloat it and have all this extra stuff in it. None of the James Bonds have been that short. Like, some of them maybe were just shy of two hours, but, yeah, they they usually drag on for a long time. Yeah, my, my experience with the other James Bond movies was I saw Skyfall in the theaters, and I thought it was fun. And then uh, two weeks later, I saw my two roommates, and one of my roommates was saying, like, yeah, I wonder if Skyfall's any good. And I'm like, you saw the movie. He's like, I definitely didn't. And I'm like, I saw you see the movie. We were sitting next to each other. So we, we forgot it. And then when I saw Spectre, I was sitting in the theater, and, like, there's a part where James Bond uh, has sex with the wife of a guy he killed the previous scene. And, like, the women in the, the row behind me were like, this is stupid. That would never happen. And then just the rest of the movie just, like, roasted it the whole time. that movie is beautiful and just having these two old ladies just like fucking roasting it it was great (laughs) you have way more fun movie movie going experiences than we do um (laughs) that that's awesome um okay i do want to tie into that because like i think there's something to be said about how gorgeous skyfall inspector like look and feel and that they have kind of an artsy kind of kind of take on them which is not something that we get to see in like a Marvel movie or I think in a triple X. I think that where the trend is is leading is towards using the um, the crafts of cinema that these guys kind of bring to it. And, and to bring it back to this movie, so this is so John Glenn was an AD on the early part of the uh, Roger Moore era. Is this the John Glenn that went to space? No, this is not the John Glenn that went to space. This is a <laughs> British John Glenn. 
with very bad teeth. And he uh, directed pretty much all of the movies from uh, what uh, after For Your Eyes Only, um, Octopussy, uh, View to a Kill. He's also going to direct The Living Daylights and License to Kill. And then he's going to be done. He's going to be out. And I think that something that is definitely in this movie, and I'd love to hear what Frank thinks, like I think this movie is probably my favorite John Glenn after watching all of them. I feel like this incorporated uh, so many of the different tropey things, but also like did it in a fun and new way, and that it, it does look and feel better than the last movie by far. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think like special effects are kicked up a notch. I think we're in an... an- like it feels like the eighties now, like eighty five, like, okay, I've seen so many movies from around that time, like it they hold up. Whereas like going back to the like late seventies, they feel grittier, grimier, and like I don't know. Th- this movie is is shot in a nice way. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite of his because I think Living Daylights might take that for me. But Yeah, it's also it's it's also a good movie. Yeah. Um but it yeah, I could see that the direction that they were going and like how they led into the the Dalton movies and eventually the the Brosnan ones. Um, this one just still has a little bit of cheekiness that uh, it's hard to get over. Honestly, well, the movie was beautiful. Like I loved, like I loved every like place they filmed at. You know, the stunts were sick. They they were that they were triple X esque. You know, they were so sick, and uh, I I really liked the visuals of like everything. Yeah. You know. It's also rare it there like... that they're in the in the states, and yeah. to see oh, San yeah. Francisco is really awesome. I feel like they're just starting to get how to use the action scenes to push the story. Whereas I think in the past films, we're really seeing them doing action set piece, talky talky part, love scene, action set piece. And like this one feels like they were trying to connect them, even though it's pretty subtle that they were like trying to have cool ideas to play with and foreshadowed into the, into the, the, the rest of the movie. But without going any further into that, I think it is time to call for the spoiler warning. Um, if you have not seen this movie, good fucking luck. Uh, it's not on Amazon Prime. You're going to have to rent it. We're sorry about that. Uh, or you can buy the box set. The box set is very cool. The box set is, is, is really nice to have going forward. You're going to get the special features. It's 120 bucks. Do yourself a favor. Uh, Frank, anything before we break into spoiler territory? No, I think that's it. I, th- I think we dive in. All right. In three, in two, in one. All right. So I love the Golden Gate Bridge. I think it's a very cool landmark. I think it sets up some really kick-ass action scenes in this movie. And I love that they foreshadow it. I think that that is like the the roll credits scene, you know, where they're like, a view to a kill. I like that part. Um, and then I also felt like this plot almost kind of still holds up today. Almost kind of. Um Almost I feel like what lost me was they were like, listen, James Bond, there's a computer and there's microchips. And then you put the microchip picture in the one they basically tried to like show the danger of microchips by like putting an image of one on top of another one. And they're like, see, and I'm like, that's not even how computers work. They're very pre-or- pre-or- like preoccupied with microchips in this movie. <laughs> like, like I feel like, in, I feel like in the eighties, they didn't really understand what computers were going to be, so they thought microchips were all like the you know the big important thing. But nowadays, you could just airdrop things onto people's phones, you know, like you know. The, That's true. <laughs> you don't even yeah. need a microchip to uh, do whatever thing that they were going to do. That's true. Yeah. 
Well, so what I I think is kind of interesting is like every one of these movies, the the opening uh, when he gets to M and Money Penny, and that whole se- sequence is pretty much the same, and they have like. You know, in exchange with Money Penny, they go to the office. They talk about the thing. M is like, "Do you know about this?" And so he's like, "Do you know about microchips?" And then he starts to go into it. He's like, <laughs> "We don't need to go into it. We know how it works." Yeah. <laughs> it's like because yeah. they can't explain it. It's they just, microchips they just go explained by it. people that um, don't know what microchips are to someone me who also doesn't know what microchips really do. But I know they're not. Su- I mean, I guess they're important, but they're not like the thing. It, it's it's weird. Like they. They over and they were over important on the idea of microchips back then. Yes, I was laughing at the part where like Christopher Walken's in a board meeting and he's like holding up like a jar of microchips and he's like the power and the chips and he's like throwing them on on like the map and stuff and I was just like this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like a candy jar full yeah. of chips. Like I'm gonna start eating them. They look tasty. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, okay, so uh, yeah, my thinking is that you know. At the time, the you know the integrated circuit and what would become you know the future of computing technology, like people were just starting to see this. They're just starting to feel it. The Apple II is maybe a year or two old at this point. Home computing is really becoming a real thing at this time. Uh, you know they're really trying to uh, break in. I-, I think technologically in ways that we haven't seen Bond do before. We've seen Bond in space. We've seen Bond underwater a whole bunch of times, but we've never really seen him fuck around or play with the kind of technology that we do in this movie. And I got to say, it's very welcome Uh, where I do agree with you guys on. And now we can kind of dig in uh, is the equestrian horse shit (laughs) is horse shit. It's horse shit. Yes. Um, It's weird, man. I love that they go to Paris and I think the action set piece uh, on the Eiffel tower is tight as hell. Um, Really? It's, it, it doesn't, it didn't feel like Superman two at all. You know, like they didn't take those beats; they went a different way, and uh, I'm like, I was, I was super invested. But as soon as we got to the big, uh, you know, maison, I was like, I'm done, I'm out. The big mansion was like a, a little too much. That probably was a set in California. Um, okay, riding horses and racing each other. Yeah, Christopher um, Walken was cheating at the race. Fucking look, I get like, like, all right, so like Christopher Walken, he's like setting up all these traps in the race. And, like, him and his men are, like, uh, you know, his men are, like, willingly doing the race. Like, I get why James Bond doesn't quit the race, but, like, like falling off a horse is a big deal. And the, how much is he paying these guys that are willing to just, like, fall off horses uh, falling into his traps, you know? Uh, yeah, these are expensive horses, too, presumably, mm-hmm. right? Like, these horses are going to get hurt. That's, that's a lot of money. And the, he's just total reckless abandon, doesn't care, whatever the fuck. Doesn't care. This All weird right. blonde dude. He looks weird as a blonde, Christopher Walken. All right, so let's talk about uh, Christopher Walken. But before we do that, can we try the game? I'm going to try the game. You should try the game. Okay, so the game that we have, uh, Mark, is that we try to summarize the plot in as few words as possible. We try to get it into only a couple of sentences, what's actually going on. So I'm going to try it. I think this is a pretty straightforward one. Um Max Zorin is a microchip industrialist who wants to destroy Silicon Valley so he can have a monopoly on microchips and make more money off of his people. There's a lot of other stuff in there, but it's not crucial to the plot. That's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Christopher Walken, um, 
I gotta say, th I have a lot of favorite Christopher Walken roles, okay? And they're not usually everybody's favorite. I love Christopher Walken in Catch Me If You Can. I think he's so good in that movie. He so uh, plausibly plays like a schlemiel, a schmuck, a uh, huckster guy who doesn't really have it all and kind of fucked up and then kind of goes on. I adore Christopher Walken in Batman Returns. I think that's one of my absolute favorite roles for him. He's a total bad guy. He's Max Shrek. He's Another a Max. Character. Another Max, yeah. Um, I don't know. He's such an iconic actor. Um, it's awesome to see him in this movie. Mark, what did you... What's your experience with Christopher Walken? What did you think of him in this movie? Um, I thought he had weird uh, blonde hair. Indeed. Uh, I, I thought it was strange to look at. Uh, now that you're talking, I actually don't know that I've seen a lot of Christopher Walken things. Like, I know who he is because he's in, like, everything. But I don't – I feel like I haven't seen many Christopher Walken movies. Like, I know I've seen Pulp Fiction. Uh, my favorite Christopher Walken thing is probably – there's this Madonna music video called Live to Tell. You guys really? ever – no, I haven't seen this one. Christopher Walken, Sean Penn movie that I've never seen and will never see because it makes the video more fun because it's just like Madonna dressed like Marilyn Monroe singing. And then there's like footage of like Christopher Walken and Sean Penn like swimming and holding guns at each other. Oh, my God. And, of that. and Christopher Walken has hair like Blanche from uh, Golden Girls. Okay. So that's my favorite Christopher Walken thing. Uh, I picked, you asked me which movie I want to do and I picked this one. Because I was sitting next to a friend, and I was like, which one of these movies should I do? And he goes, uh, you should do A View to Kill because Christopher Walken's in it. And at one part when uh, James Bond, before he has sex with a woman, says, you're a whole lot of woman. And I don't think that happened in the movie. I think he remembered that wrong. But uh, those are the two things. <sighs> Indeed. <laughs> um, well, do you feel like he was villainous enough for you? Like, do you feel he was a bad guy enough? Christopher Walken? Yeah. Uh, isn't he like a like a steroided up uh, orphan or something? Wasn't that the story? Indeed. Yeah. Frank, <laughs> what did you think, my friend? So I, I have a similar experience with, with Christopher Walken as Mark does. Um, I feel like he's in everything, but I can, can't pinpoint like a favorite role. I do remember him in Batman Returns, but like I think to me, <laughs> the fact that he goes and he's like, more! More oh, like boy. I like more cowbell. <laughs> like, that's like most iconic thing that I can remember from him, and so he does that in this he movie. Indeed he does just, his affect. It's 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 very him. I do think he looks a little weird, maybe just because he's younger. Um, I think he's villainous though. I, I think I, I like the idea that he's this like like I don't know Captain America super soldier guy, but like you don't see him fight or anything like you're it's implied i think that mayday is also that and she's super strong but uh, like you don't see him fight he's just crazy yeah i didn't i didn't put that together you see so okay so i think christopher walken is like a, a great actor in my experience from looking it up his breakout roles were he was in annie hall and he's in deer hunter yeah, in the deer. late 70s um and then so it takes him a couple of years to make it around to to bond as a, as a bad guy i think he's the ideal guy you want as a bond villain he's got a weird fucking voice he's got great eyes and expression and i think that he does he can play a bad guy really really well i i think that they i kind of think that although i loved grace jones as what mark you will learn we call the physical antagonist we made up a whole new category I would have kind of hoped that he was going to be both, that he was going to be the person that 
uh, Bond was fighting, but also that he was up against Bond and was constantly being out, outsmarted by Bond. Um, and it, it, it seemed, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of cool that he has this, like, Bond, um, you know, cinematic history, you know, relevance, and I think we'll, we'll talk about that later on, but... I don't know. I kind of, I kind of maybe wanted a little bit more out of him, even though he's kind of awesome. Like, I, it's kind of isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, yeah. that's nuts. You need him to be more over the top than he normally is. Absolutely perfect. Um, yeah, I, I have high expectations. Um, okay, so I think that this movie is. Uh, it it start, does start and stop a lot. There is a lot of hurry up and wait with this film that I think it does drag a little bit too long. I think maybe you cut 10 minutes out of this movie. It's a whole different thing. Um, but I don't know. I th- I know exactly where to do it, too. Go ahead. Where? So we have this whole subplot of they. Uh, what's her name? The the Bond girl, um, Stacy. She's got this other house. Stacy Sutton. And then they, they send her to City Hall. The City Hall gets lit on fire. They have to escape. Then there's a whole fire truck sequence chase it's like a lot of the action's really cool but it's so inconsequential to what's going on with the plot uh, means nothing um yeah that was that was kind of crazy um i liked i liked the san francisco-ness of it though and i felt like it was it's a good san francisco movie you know you do get some nice locations i think that it's fun to kind of be on vacation there with james bond um, I don't think that they play enough around there in Paris, though, and I and I would have liked more out of that. Fast forward till later. Um, what do you? Okay, so there's a, a lot of different femme fatales in this movie. Um, they're all very interesting. Um, let's talk about Grace Jones. Uh, she kind of kicks some fucking ass in this movie, and she is what we call. So we've noticed over the Bond movies, Mark, that like. Sometimes, or many times actually, Bond doesn't actually go into fisticuffs with the main villain, right? He doesn't actually fight Goldfinger. He doesn't fight uh, Blofeld in Spectre. He doesn't fight um, the bad guy in uh, uh, Skyfall either. Um, There's always like some big dude or some big person who he's going to fight. And this time it's a chick. And they haven't done that yet. Um, What did you think about that, Frank? I think she was great. I think, you know she's she's gorgeous she's got these these crazy like hairstyles and she's very like very physically present in every scene she's in and um she i I think she's like i don't know about menacing but i i do think that she's threatening to him um and i kind of like that they they had her turn good towards the end like that's a that was kind of cool, like what they did with Jaws a few movies back, like you know, as Jaws? to beat Jaws the. Uh, oh my God! He's another. Jaws turns you if you, <laughs> not the shark. No, no, no. So go look it up. You, you'll like this on YouTube. You could probably look up Jaws James Bond. There's a character isn't he was played by a guy named Richard Kyle, who comes out in the first movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, and he got so much fan mail and love during after that movie. That they brought him back for Moonraker and they turned him into a good guy. Oh. Um, and he's one of the like playable villains you can be in GoldenEye 64 after you put in some cheat codes. So his legacy in the Bond lore runs very, very deep. He's probably your number one physical antagonist 
you know, representation of, of, the, of this character idea. And the ones um, I've seen, Batista is the physical antagonist in Spectre. Oh, yeah. He's a great, oh, yeah. he's a great one. Yeah. Um, I thought Grace Jones was very interesting. At, at any time she's, like, on screen, I feel like she's the most interesting thing on the movie. Um, I, I feel like uh, the movie, to me, like, the plot's, like, whatever, but to me, it's, like, all the action sequences and, like, sort of uh, the presentation of the characters. Like, there's James Bond, and he's wearing a suit, and he's doing this, and... Grace Jones is here and she's got her fashion looks and she's doing that. Like I think a lot of it is like fashion and like haircuts and stuff too. Definitely. Um, plot. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the clothes in this movie are really nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, not all the time in all these movies, do they look fashionable and kind of, and, and with it, I, I think especially in the last movie, you could just feel that they were just trying, they didn't, they didn't spend any money. So it just, it didn't look, it looks like a B movie almost. You know, yeah. this one well, compared is so much better. Well, it's also interesting at the end of the M scene where it's like, oh, Bond, you've got thirty-five minutes, suit up, and you know, normally it's him in uh, like a suit and, and tux and everything, but here's going to like derby clothes and you know. Oh, the derby. So that that's a whole different thing. Um, but yeah, they're which is like. Derby clothes are very iconic, and like it's like I want to be drinking mint juleps right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely visually appealing. I, I think she's great. Um, but there, like AJ was saying before, there are a lot of female characters, and um, Jenny obviously Flex. Jenny Flex. <laughs> she, she doesn't have enough t- screen time. <laughs> she should got a line somewhere in there, man. Like something, you yeah. know, they're trying to save money on her payday rate. Um, okay. But then you also have Susan Sutton or Stacy Sutton, Stacy Sutton, Stacy. Is that Ms. Matt Sutton show? Yeah. Midge Pizziotti. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, get the fuck out of here. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Donna's mom. <laughs> oh my god that's who she is oh man oh i love that 70s show oh, yeah that's yeah, a great show women in the movie and i couldn't when she became like the main important one i was like surprised i was like oh she's the one that's the important one because they all like they were all pretty like I, I don't know why like all of a sudden she's the one that becomes the love interest but you know oh that's a good because- point because James Bond, just yeah. the way they decide things is a flip of a coin. I was blown away at the beginning of the movie when, like, he gets into – so in the beginning of the movie, after the skiing scene, he gets into that, that like, igloo. That's, like, his igloo boat, which I thought was very funny that he has a, a boat that looks like an igloo, so people won't know that's him. And he gets in, he's in there for two seconds, and he's basically, like, to the woman in it, he's like, let's have sex now. And she's like, yeah. uh, I guess so. And then they start, and then he goes – we're going to be here for five days. And I'm like, five days? And you have to do it right now? <laughs> Pace yourself, man. <laughs> they just for five full days after that, you know? Uh, the opening scene is... Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to dig too down into it because it's going to fuck up all our ratings and shit. But, like, the this is, like... I hate the skiing shit. I can't ski. Uh, but also like, I find the skiing stuff to be like so boring and like, I, and then the idea that James Bond is going to invent snowboarding to a beach Boys song, like in the opening sequence of the movie, like, that's just like, that sucks. Like that, that's, it was bad. I love it. I love him skiing and snowboarding and stuff. And then 
he's like having sex with a woman. I'm like, man, this guy is cool, you know? He is cool. And they, you know what? So something that they took from, I believe it's The Spy Who Loved Me, is which was also a skiing opening, uh, that they always have the Union Jack someplace in the in the in the shot right the british flag and in the in spy you love me it's the uh the fucking parachute opens up and then they kind of keep repeating this to the point where now it's a fucking porthole when it pops up and i don't think the porthole could have gotten nearly as good of a response as the fucking uh parachute so i'm really glad that they did away <laughs> with that whole tropiness because it yeah. they were not they were not trying to up themselves after they knew that they went very big in the opening um okay uh, let's talk about um, something that I think that this movie really kind of epitomizes, and I, and I think that when we see, and you can go back and listen, but the Living Daylights really kind of does away with. I think maybe even more so than the Sean Connery movies, which I have a lot of good memories of but haven't watched yet on the podcast, but I think the Roger Moore movies may indeed be more formulaic than the Conneries. And I think that at a certain point after... Uh, man with the golden gun that they were kind of like, you know what? Like if we can stick to a, a format, a formula that's going to have rigid parts to it that we can build off of, that they're always going to be kind of paying off. Frank, we've been watching these movies together. How do you feel about that? I kind of agree with you. And it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they, they turned out. So the first Roger Moore is 73. This one is 85. They turned out seven movies in 12 years um by the fifth one he was basically wanting to be done and so like here like okay let's just keep going and then then he's done so i i do think especially kind of in the middle there where it was like oh there's a an underwater base oh there's a space base oh now it's a you know on the greek islands uh, yeah and now we're gonna go to silicon valley and go to this mine like it's it's all the same it i completely agree with you it they you could just take you know a whole bunch of different settings different characters and drag and drop and you've got a plot to a james bond roger moore movie it it just seems so cookie cutter and and i think that's i think that kind of does well and it's also it also hinders it because if you think about it on the one hand you know what the expectation is, right? You know what you're going to get, and you know that when you go in, you're going to have the things you want to see, kind of like a Star Wars, you know what I mean? That when you go in, you're kind of like, you know you're going to get a crawl, you're going to get a some kind of opening action sequence, hopefully. You're going to then be thrown into another part, and then it's going to be maybe an hour, and then you know we're usually going to end in space. Uh, but these kind of feel like they're kind of transitioning and especially when we get to the full um, the Brosnan era, that they really are playing with the format, I think, much more, and they really start to open it up. Um, so just a note from kind of us, and we'll talk about that more in the upcoming Roger Moore wrap-up podcast, but uh, yeah, I think the formula hurts this film um, because it just feels so by the book that you could have sat with a checklist and gone through and felt every single piece. Absolutely. But also it like I feel like the Roger Moore era also is missing a bunch of crucial pieces that to me are like quintessential James Bond. Like 
he doesn't drive fancy cars all that much. He no, doesn't he really doesn't gamble that much. He doesn't drink martinis that much. Like those things that you think of of the character, like it's just all not there. It's he's gonna be quippy. He's gonna have sex with a bunch of women. He's gonna do some sort of cool action stunts. But like, yeah, it's missing some stuff, and I, I I don't know why they they chose in this era to cut some of those things out. But well, they work we'll see. The vodka. They work in the martini thing because he uh, when he's skiing, he comes back from the skiing, and he comes back, and he's got like a ton of uh, beluga caviar, and he's got like a thing of he's like he's emptying his bag, and he's like, and I got vodka, uh, shaken, not stirred, you know, and then you know, yeah, lunch. <laughs> Oh my god. Um yeah. So uh let me ask you this, Mark, how old do you think Roger Moore is in this movie? Uh seven no, uh fifty six? Who any I have no idea. You're close. He's fifty seven. Um, oh I almost got it right. Hell yeah. You were right in there, actually. Uh I don't know how they did this, but Frank, I think he looks better in this movie than Octopussy. I think you're right. Um I I don't know if it's like you last last time you mentioned that he might have had a hairpiece. I don't know if the he wig has is a better piece. in this one. It's either a wig or the the hair color is a little different. Um, maybe just better makeup or I don't know. Maybe maybe he stopped smoking. <laughs> uh, that could be that. That's also true. I, I think he looks better in this movie. He feels a little bit younger. The quips hit a little bit harder. Um, I don't know. I, I like I liked him better in this movie overall. Uh, when you're okay. So, ultimately, the plot of this movie has to do with steroids and um, super people. Um, so, you know, we know that the guy, Dr. Mortner, is, is probably a Nazi scientist who, um, you know, is injecting these horse thingies into these horses to make them run super fast, even though they don't come from these storied bloodlines. I mean, do either of you give a shit about that? Not at all. Perfect. I okay. had to pay attention anytime they talked about anything I didn't think was interesting. So yeah. this thing was uh, was tough. Like I like watching them ride the horses, but like if you were telling me about like uh, horseback riding for longer than five minutes, I can't. I can't do it. You know. Absolutely. It just it just seemed like whew, I could not give less of a shit. Um. Okay. Uh, I think where the movie picks up is actually in the boardroom scene, which I was actually very happy to get to. Um. It, de- it definitely felt like a great um, – it was a great expositional scene. It gives you a lot of character, and that's something that Mark said I, I want to pick up on as we go throughout. There's a lot of character in this movie. There's like characters, you know? Like, they're definitely fleshed out. They're definitely realized, you know what I mean? It, it, these are not caricatures so much anymore. You think about the the last guy from uh, Octopussy, Kamal Khan, like – we don't know what he likes or what he does or what his day to day is like. We like we know a ton about this Max Zorin dude, and it, he's got very good taste. He likes to fight, <laughs> you know. He's he's probably <laughs> some kind of crazy Nazi orphan experiment program. Um, I, I I I what did you guys think of the blimp? <laughs> I thought it was a cool reveal when when it's like. I, I couldn't remember if we saw it beforehand, but like when, so the boardroom and then he throws the chips and it, it collapses. Like, Oh my God, is there like no floor here? And then they throw the guy out the airlock pretty much. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, that was great. That was great. I think the blimp was cool. And like it, it came back later and was, you know, really a big action set piece. I think 
it's a, definitely weird, a, a definitely weird uh, transportation vehicle, but uh, I think it's kind of kind of cool. <laughs> I, I, you ever been on a blimp, Mark? Uh, no. Uh, I can't see why. I, I, they're they're just they're not like really a travel thing, are they? You know? No, it's not a conveyance. Showboating. You know, like. It's it, advertising. Yeah, it's product placement. You know, this it's not really for, like, like moving around. I guess if you're in, like, the fucking 30s and you don't have fucking jet planes and shit, and maybe it was, like, you could get cheaper tickets because, like, you know, it's, like, there's more space, I guess. Yeah. But I don't know. It just seems impractical to me. Um. Okay. Uh, I think, actually, it's kind of interesting, though, like, if if we're saying that, Max Zorin is like a descendant of like Nazi and like that, that Nazi father figure, like, and Nazis had the blimps and that, yeah, that there's a thread there of why he would have that. Right. Oh, totally. Totally. We're in, we're in New Jersey. This is where the Hindenburg went down. Oh, the humanity. Um, it's fucking history right here. You can, we can actually, I think you can go to the site. I think there's a plaque there. I would like to do that. Um, okay. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, this movie, I think, really quickens when they get to San Francisco. It really picks up the pace. Um, I got to tell you, I did not recognize Sutton from the $5 million check scenario. I'm also going to totally put to the side and try not to reference the photo identification technology they were using to identify James Bond as James Bond in the office. Because if oh, the yeah. camera is behind the mirror... Wouldn't it stand that they already know that James Bond went into that room to do the swipey swipey of the check because they recorded him that whole time? That's a big plot hole for me. Okay, plot hole. Let it go. Um, once it gets to once it gets to San Francisco, I think it quickens up. Uh, why did we go with this dude and not Felix Frank? Why did they go with the other CIA agent and not our homeboy? Do we have any data on that? I actually do not know. Although he's kind of dispatched pretty quickly, so that's true. Uh, we, didn't, we don't. Maybe want to that's Felix. why they wanted somebody disposable. Um, obviously, they bring him back pretty soon in one of the next movies. Um, and then he also has that other um, other guy that's working for him. That's uh, I guess he's MI6 Tibbet. Oh yeah, Tibbet was kind of cool. I I liked him also dealing with 003 in the beginning. That was kind of interesting. This is the second movie in a row where a double O agent is killed and he goes and, you know, recovers something from him. It's like, 007, you're pretty lucky if these guys are getting killed so fast. You'd think that we'd start getting into the, you know, the single O's. <laughs> you know? This is O uh, ten or O eleven. Um O seventeen. I don't know. Uh okay. Uh so the the idea of this movie um, and this is where I want to stick before we get into ratings. Uh, I love movies. We're big fans. Um, and it does make me happy when I think movies are referenced or they're uh, extrapolated on. Um, but I think here, in true Office Space fashion, they are literally ripping the plot of the first superhero, first Superman movie and putting it into this movie. Okay? How did they get away with this? <laughs> And if you're not familiar, in the first Superman please, movie, yeah, please describe. If you're it's not familiar, for me. Superman, uh, 1977, Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeves, 
Um, the the plot of this movie is that Hackman has reprogrammed some ICBMs. They're going to fly over to the San Andreas Fault. They're going to explode on the San Andreas Fault. They're going to send most of California into the ocean. And then Lex Luthor, who's been acquiring all of this uh, land in, you know, like uh, all this desert land in the middle of California, is now going to stand to be the wealthiest landowner in, you know, U.S. history because he's all about land. So essentially, the plot of Superman is that they're going to blow off half of, uh, um, you know, uh, California to repurpose it for real estate. In this film, we're going to blow the San Andreas Fault to destroy Silicon Valley and then have a monopoly on the chips, but also to fuck with California. How did they get away with this? <laughs> That's a very good question. That I think that is like the same plot. <laughs> the plot is so hard to understand when you're watching the movie that people are like, that probably isn't Superman. <laughs> <laughs> well, like what I love about it is in Office Space the whole idea for their scheme comes from Superman 3, which is consistently referenced throughout the film. That's one of my favorite parts of that movie. It was like, oh, just like in Superman 3, like, shut up, guy. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I don't know how they got away with this. To me, and it was, and I guess they got some distance in there, and I guess this would have been closer to Superman 4 in terms of release dates than it would have been to the first Superman movie. But it's it's like right in there. I, it's the '80s. No one cared that much, I guess. Okay. Like, <laughs> all right, fine. I haven't seen the original Superman. I saw the one where he, uh, where he he, uh, he has a kid. That's and, Superman Returns. Yeah, Cyclops is dating his girlfriend. I've seen that one. Uh huh. I, I okay. I love the first Superman. My dad had a laserdisc player. I watched it, the VHS of his laserdisc recording. So there's like a good blue, you know, screen chunk for about, you know, a minute. And then you can watch the rest of the movie. I love that <laughs> film. I have it pretty much committed to memory. I love Christopher Reeves. So that's why, like, it definitely sticks out for me that this is the exact same plot. Um, with that in mind, there's not a ton else to cover here. I think that this movie is highly watchable compared to the last couple of ones. And mm -hmm. I think it's probably, of the Roger Moores, one of the best to hold up. Other than that, I don't have a ton to say about it. Um, I, there's just a fun anecdote for me. Oh, uh, hit me with it, my friend. Basically, the introduction of a character and scene um, that will become directly referenced later in Austin Powers. Pola Ivanova. Oh. And a lot of vagina. <laughs> and the hot tub sequence is exactly from Austin Powers. <laughs> that is a direct rip. Direct rip. Yeah. Which I never knew. I didn't know that yeah, they had the. Yeah, me neither. That, that, that's great. The other thing that I'm disappointed to say, like, I think I called it out a few episodes ago, but Dolph Lundgren is in this movie in, like, a small part. I didn't even see him. He's, I didn't like, see in him such at all. a minor role. Like, he was probably some KGB agent and we didn't see him. Oh, man. Bummer, Rooney. That oh, sucks. Bummer. Okay. All right. Well. He's in the movie, so you'll go look for him and find, you send us a screenshot, you fucks. Um, okay, uh, with that in mind, I would like to turn now to the rating system. This is going to help us cover anything we left out, anything we missed. And I'm going to turn it over to my friend Frank 
to start it off. Yes, dude. What did you think of the opening sequence of this movie? We got 10 categories. They're ranked out of a score of 10. They add up to 100. Don't worry. I will be counting yours as well, Mark, if you would like to play with us. I'll play. All right. Yeah, so opening sequence, another skiing one. Um, as you all know, I don't hate it as much as AJ does. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was good. I... But I think ultimately, as soon as they started playing the Beach Boys, they lost me. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, it was really cool. And they could have just had the same music going, but they felt like they had to, like, be like, guess what? He's surfing on snow. So I gave this a five. Um, but AJ, what did you give this? I gave this a two. I fucking hate the skiing. And I think that the, the Beach Boys so cheapens it. Imagine how bitchin' badass awesome it would have been if they like really kick into the John Barry theme at when he goes on the, on the on the snowboard. Like that would have been so good. It would have been so good. Like amp up the badassness of that move. Like it's not funny. Like it's not funny that he's snowboarding now to us. It's badass and cool. And it's extreme sports. So I think that they like they miscalculated it. You know what I mean? Like they didn't know how bit like how could they? But like they didn't know how snowboarding was going to be then like extrapolated into the universe. So like it just it it totally cheapens what is like otherwise like a super really great move. And I do appreciate the fact that they put the skiing sequence like in the opening sequence so that it's not going to be in the rest of the movie. I was nervous because there was a lot of skiing in the, uh, the title sequence, <laughs> but I was like, okay, all right, we'll, we'll see what happens. But no, it wasn't super <laughs> important. Okay. I gave it a two because the beach boys and the introduction of snowboarding needed much better. Mark, what do you think? I'm going to give this one a 10. This part was the best part of the movie to me. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> they were shooting guns. It was interesting to see snowboarding without the normal cultural music and touchstones that we have in it. So That's it was true. Like, as an extension of like surfing. I loved it. I was watching that part. And I'm like, this movie is going to be so sick. Look at this. They're all snowboarding and shit. And this, the stunts were great. I loved it. That's That was the best part of the movie. Well, it's definitely tight. Like There are other snowboarding sequences in these movies that just drag. And they go on, and you're like, when is this over? I'm sure he's going to survive. Why are we doing this? There's a movie a couple of ones ago where he's, like, at, a, like, an Olympic playground, like, an Olympic, like, grounds that has a high jump. They're doing a biathlon. There's all sorts of shit. It, it, it's too much. Anyway, I'm, gl I'm glad you enjoyed it, though. Uh, all right, plot. Um, Frank, where are you at? I'm giving this a six. I think um, I appreciate the simplicity. Like you were able to sum it up really quickly. Um, and I, I was able to follow most of it. I just think that it has a lot of detours. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a subplot necessarily. I just think that a lot of the, the horse stuff doesn't really matter in the long run. Like really, it's just about him wanting to blow up underneath silicon valley and you know flood everything and yeah make a lot of money uh so it i appreciate it for that but i, I think it could have been a lot better what about you six mark what's your score buddy two i didn't understand anything that was happening at any given moment <laughs> I, I went with a five I, I i like when the the plots are simpler i like when they're more straightforward um and, and like I said, I think this plot could almost sort of quasi hold up in today's culture. 
I think where it 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 gets um goofy is that they had to they added the supernatural elements on it of of is he a psycho is he a clone is he a you know a super soldier and then the whole um you know the whole distraction of of you know his separate uh you know money making scheme of having the horses like this guy just he didn't need to diversify his portfolio so much he could have just really <laughs> streamlined <laughs> and like not been so worried about other shit all right um so this brings us to our next category which is the gadgets q and and the car so mark in the so you watched a movie that had q and a new q and then you had it like them take that cue to a new world. So in the old movies, you saw Desmond Llewellyn, who's been cue. He was the cue in all of these movies up until um, the last uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan. So he was in quite a few movies. And he does have a really awesome presence in these films and, uh, you know, does add levity and fun. Uh, I think for me in this one, it really falls down because there is no Bond car. I think for whatever reason, they're moving away from having a Bond car. And for those reasons alone, I'm going to go with a three. Um, at this point, you know, John Glenn and the writers, Mandelbaum and uh, Michael G. Wilson. Michael G. Wilson is the stepson of Albert Broccoli. Albert Broccoli and Howard and uh, Saltzman started the James Bond franchise, right? So he's kind of like this dude's son, and then they also have this other guy. And I, I just think that the, you know, they're going away from Bond being able to use the gadgets to get out of trouble to having Bond having to use his wits to get out of these problems. And while I think that that's a very noble way to move these movies and to have him have a more active role, I, I do miss the gadgets, man. And, and I think that they started giving more cool gadgets to the bad guys in lieu of giving Bond gadgets to save the day. Mm. Frank. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think I think there are gadgets in this movie, and there are little devices here and there. There are microchips. There's the... Um, the, the bomb thing at the end that they've got a, you know, I mean, it, we forgot to mention that this is a ticking clock um, towards the end of the movie, which is great. Um, the ticking clock so is they okay, have, yes. And so then there's uh, that gadget. But yeah, why? I, I could understand if every other movie had a really cool car, if they didn't want to like highlight it, but they, it's just been so absent. And to me, it's just such a quintessential Bond thing that, yeah, I'm giving this category a four. And there's not even a great. Q, Q scene. It's just like no, he's the, there. The Q scenes are a little sad. They they reduced Q screen time from Octopussy. It's bullshit. Well, he's got this like weird robot thing that he drives around. It's like a mouse droid. <laughs> it, it's totally a mouse droid. Uh, Mark, what did you think, bud? I don't remember anything about Q or any gadgets. I was going to give this a very, very low score, but then I remembered one thing. He's got a boat that looks like an, an, uh, an igloo. Nice Ice, what's it called? Iceberg? Yeah. Yeah. Iceberg boat, and that's very cool, so this gets a three. Hey. Nice. Okay. Um, this is going to be a good one. I'm excited to get to this one because I love when Frank and I agree because we, we're both in the same boat. Okay. So I think this movie is a solid five on the Bond girls, man. I think they're hot. They have advocacy. You got a whole bunch to choose from if you want to go home and close your eyes and jerk off. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I... I I also think none of them are like really developed enough. 
you know there are too many yeah there are too many I, I also gave this a five and like you've got stacy you've got mayday you've got the one from the beginning you've got jenny flex you've got a a, a lot of vagina <laughs> like yeah a lot of there's so here. many so i don't know I, I agree with you if they focused a little bit on one i mean i know stacy's the main one and she was good, but I just didn't feel that she was definitely a little damsel in distress at times. And oh, for sure. like, you have him carrying her out of the fire. It's like, all right. I kind of like that, though, because at least you see him doing something like really like just purely heroic. Yeah, I, I kind of like that part of it. But I also was like, oh, shit. And now thinking that it's like fucking Donna's mom, it's like, um, no, I hate it. <laughs> M- Mark, what do you think? I'm gonna go ahead and give this a ten because it is Donna's hey. mom, and uh, and because uh, I, I I guess Grace Kelly was a, a good uh, what's her name Grace Jones, Grace Jones, Grace Jones was, uh, was a good sport about wearing that weird like uh, like thong onesie at one point. Oh my oh, god, right. the thong! That's like the, that's got to be one of the first thongs in cinema. Yeah, you know it's and even for an '80s butt, that's a kick-ass butt man that was awesome i'm knocking mine up to six (laughs) (laughs) okay so also again uh villain um we're in agreement so i went with a five i think that the characterization that that uh christopher walken puts on is like it's truly intimidating i do find him menacing he's totally threatening i think that where they you know it they like again, he diversified his portfolio too much. Like he should have just been more committed to singular attributes. And he, I also would have liked to see him go up against Bond. Um, also, you see him fighting in the beginning uh, with Grace Jones as they're training or practicing, which is actually a very good scene. But I would have liked to have seen him use that further on in the movie when at the end he just like mows down all the dudes, and that was like, yeah, like you're definitely an evil motherfucker. But meh, like, come on. You could do better. What do you think, Frank? Yeah, I agree. I, I think like when you think about Bond villains, like you want to be able to remember, like I don't know, the fact that Christopher Walken, this like huge iconic actor, like similar to a, a few back when we had Christopher Lee, like sure, it should be epic, and he should be, he should be the focus, right? Like when we talk about like the Marvel movies, that the the villain, if you have a great villain, you're gonna have a great film. And if they elevated this character and made him a little bit more like more sympathetic or like you understood his like motivations in a in like in a good way or or if we see them fight, yeah, they, they just didn't do enough with him. Um, I think he's cool and he sounds fun, but they they could have gone a little deeper. So five. Mark, I'm going to give him a seven. Uh, he's a good wrestling heel. He's very unlikable, even the way he looks with his gross blonde hair. Uh, he looks unlikable. He uh, kisses Grace Jones when she doesn't want him to. Uh, want, yeah, which is also unlikable. And then he like implies that she should have sex with Bond. He just he just gross. He's gross and awful, and you you, you hate him. I like that about him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, physical antagonist. So I'm gonna adjust my score here, actually. So I'm going to bring mine up to a seven. Um, I think Grace Jones is awesome in this movie. She doesn't get enough to do. 
Uh, she looks awesome. She's got such a specific look. I love all the scarves and the head wrappings. She feels like a mm -hmm. Star Wars character. Like, she has, like, such cool fashion sense and, like, definitely elevates the movie to a new level. And she's so fucking threatening. And when you see her kind of, you know, on the Eiffel Tower at the beginning, it's so much intrigue. And it, it builds to this beautiful... Um, you know crescendo where ultimately she turns on the on the bad guy and she's with james bond but not in a like a J jaws kind of a way in like a retribution revenge kind of a way because you know uh he max zoran gets to see her blow up this bomb this bomb that he's been trying to make and foil her plan so like i, I foil his plan so i felt like that was a little bit nicer and a better way of treating her character in the send-off what did you think frank yeah, I yeah, I think she's great. Um the fact that like a lot of times when we ha talk about the physical antagonist like oh it it's either combined with the villain or like but we have a clear physical antagonist but she's also really a Bond girl and I think where like the Bond girl category maybe we don't give her as many points but like she does so much in this film and I do really love her her turn uh to the good side. <laughs> Uh, at the end, um, like I, I like that realization of when, like, like you see, she's a character. She feels for her friends when when she sees they're dying, and then she un, like, like I thought he loved me. This like like it's great. They do such a great job, um, and she's so badass. And I gave it gave her an eight here. Uh, I'll give her a ten. She's the most interesting character in the movie. That's a good point. Good point. Good pointo. Okay, Frank, what's the next category? So I think I think the, the well, the next category is Bond performance. What I'll just call out is that Mark has the luxury of only rating this film. <laughs> <laughs> we as we were rating these, we we're like, well, compared to this character or this movie, it's like, yeah, is Mayday ten? If we're talking about it purely on on by itself, probably. But when we're talking compared to like Jaws, not sure. Anyway. Getting to Bond performance, um, this is a step up from last time. I think it's a good send-off for him. I kind of wish that there was more of a, like, pomp and circumstance to it. Like, because they probably knew that he was done, right? Like, he wanted to be done before. Um, if they could have, like, had him ride off into the sunset in a way other than the way that they do it in every movie. <laughs> yeah. I think it would have been better. Um but yeah, I think he he's good and uh, he's likable and he's not too too creepy and his jokes land better. So I'd say seven. Hey, what did you think of James Bond in this movie, Mark? Uh, comparing him only to the other one, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, with a three. He's weird. He makes weird faces all the time. <laughs> uh, there's nothing about about him that I'd be like, man, I'd like to see this guy do more things. Uh. Do you think that Fair like enough. so when you so Daniel Craig, so Daniel Craig to me like after watching these other guys like, I get so much more out of him because I think what he's bringing is like his physical performance, but mm -hmm. he doesn't bring any jokes because I don't think Daniel Craig is I don't think Daniel Craig's James Bond is funny. Yeah, he's like a, I think Daniel Craig is like a really good actor. Uh, he, he's very serious, I think, and kind of plain. Uh, but I kind of appreciate that. Like, I think sometimes you need sort of like a plain guy to be in certain roles. 
you know, like like this, and then uh, Girl the Dragon Tattoos, the other thing that he was in. Sure. Yeah. Plain. Like sometimes you need like a plain guy. But I think. Have you seen him in Knives Out? Uh, yeah, yeah. And he's got like kind of an accent. Yeah. yeah he does he's... like because he does that type of stuff when he like hosts like SNL and stuff. Yeah. Like, he can be very funny. And like those he's are super guys. funny in Munich. But I, I think he's like kind of like best when he's like sort of the natural sort of bland guy. It's it's hard for me because like I, I think after watching Roger Moore for so long now, like I kind of get his jokes a lot better than I did at the start. But yeah. I but we're gonna see. So like it, the next movie to come is Timothy Dalton, who is very he's kind of like the 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 proto Daniel Craig of his age is like super serious Shakespearean actor turned down playing Bond when he was younger to do it then had never really taken on any kind of very big pop roles. And then he only plays this guy twice. And then he kind of like vanishes from the limelight. So like to me, like I kind of appreciate now at the end of the day, the fact that like Roger Moore in and of himself was funny and that he kind of did bring a lightness to it that you don't see with any other bond in any way, really. You're going to see jokes. You're going to see somebody funny that or, or somebody given funny lines to say. But I think innately Roger Moore is funny, which is like, I think, different than most of the other characters. Um, uh, anything else? No. All right. That lands hard. Uh, OK, so uh, legacy continuity. So this is kind of our our category to say, like, is this movie worthy of the highlight reel? Like, what's a highlight reel moment of this movie? And I think so. I gave this a four, um, based on the fact that I think the the end sequence on the Golden Gate Bridge, besides from being on the poster, is a is one of those iconic moments. Um, where do you land on that, Frank? Yeah, um, I think the Golden Gate Bridge with the uh, the blimp. I think the the fight up and the dive off of uh, the Eiffel Tower. Those are pretty iconic, um, but. Yeah, a lot of the stuff in the middle is just forgettable. Um, we don't have, like, anything that really makes it feel like, oh, this is 1985, or anything that's, like, calling back to, you know, former allies or relationships or anything. Um, so I'm giving it a five. It, um, this mark may be a harder one for you to, to, <laughs> to Compared rate, to the uh, two other Bond movies you know, how does this one feel to you? I guess I'm making a highlight reel of the cool things I've seen in James Bond movies. I'd probably give this a five because I do think like the action sequences are really cool. Yeah. So, so like, I, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the, the blimp exploding is pretty great and all the skiing was fun. And like anything <laughs> that Grace Jones is doing is pretty cool. Like I think, I think like you could put, clips of this and things and be like wow james bond is fun i i, I agree this movie is this movie is fun I, I i don't i don't denigrate that part of it i i feel like this movie is like it doesn't it doesn't skimp on the fun i think the last movie got at times a little too serious it got a little too far away from plucking at the you know like it, it got plucking at heartstrings but like heartstrings are also close to the reality and like when you play too close to those things it starts to all break down this one i think it stays in the fun area enough that it doesn't really fall too serious or boring so bad and i think a lot of that has to do with the special effects i think the special effects here are really kick-ass uh one of the things i'll say about that is 
we're really good at this point in mixing the rear projection with the actual shots of the movie. They're doing great work. I think some of that is to point to on the fire truck sequence that Frank hates, but I think they do a really <laughs> nice job of um, uh, giving the background enough feel and, and the, the holding on to the fire truck enough that you can get lost in it. Um, and also I love, you know, I have a whole song about it, but I love miniatures. I love when they build small shit to make big explosions in the screen. And like the whole end sequence in the mine is like, also one kick-ass big set, but also a really kick-ass miniature too. So I think for those reasons, but it's still a little hokey, I'm going to land on this with a six now. Uh, Frank, where are you at on this, my friend? Yeah, I mean, I think there are elements of the fire truck sequence that are cool. Like the fact that they jump over the drawbridge is really cool. Yes. Um, I just think it, this is another one where like it reminds me of uh, – I think like live and let die and uh, whatever the next one after that was where they had like the, the cop guy. Like, why are we focusing on these cops like that? Yes. <laughs> like they're, they're chasing him. And like, I don't know the whole bit. That's like, he's a secret agent. Like he's not going to get ca- caught by the cops. That's just stupid. So um, anyway, that's not really the special effects. <laughs> I do think that <laughs> I think the set of the, the mine is really awesome. It's really um, sweet. It's really cool. Um, I, I watched Goonies recently. Uh, and it, like was man. giving me Goonies vibes. Um, so, yeah, I'm giving this a six as well. Mark, special effects? Special effects? Uh, probably an eight because, you know, the things all look cool. And there are certain points where people will, like, fall out of stuff in the water. And I'd be like, damn, how'd they film that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is – so Frank and I were in a band. We're – big music nerds but um this is one of my favorite categories and i want to throw this to mark first because you're coming at this a little bit fresher than we are what did you think of the music in this movie and what did you think specifically of the duran duran song uh i thought it was pretty cool i don't know if i'm a duran duran guy but uh i really enjoyed it out of the ones i've heard i thought uh it might be my favorite out of uh this skyfall inspector sam smith does uh specter right yes that yes. sucks so bad. I hate that. <laughs> the Skyfall song is exactly what you would expect the Skyfall song to be if somebody told you that there was a Skyfall song sung by her. It just seems like very normal. I think my favorite James Bond song, now I'm thinking about it, is Madonna's Die Another Day. This is the second time I've complimented Madonna on this podcast. Am I a Madonna fan? I think you might be. You may you may be a little bit. So what's your score on this, my friendo? Oh, uh, let's, let, let's throw this at like a seven. All right, I'm going to tally your scores, and while I'm doing that, Frank, what did you think, dude? So I actually did like the Duran Duran song. Um, I was like, it was one of those, it's going, I'm like, you know, these guys sound really familiar. I think I know that I'm going to know who they are once the, the credits pop up. And it, it was good. Um, it just, like, it's Duran Duran. Like, I'm not, like, a huge, huge fan of them, and so it's uh, – if you really like their style, then you're like, oh, my God, awesome. Um, I think the music throughout uh, leave me wanting more. I, I'm, like, knocking off a whole two points for Beach Boys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm giving this a six. Um, what about you, AJ? So, okay. So I, I like Duran Duran, as as you both probably know. Um, but I, I don't love this song so much. 
I think where James Bond music kind of transcends and becomes like really, really good is when it has a timeless classicness to it in the way that, where I'm going to disagree a little bit with you, Mark. I think Skyfall like is a classic James Bond sounding song um, that is very different from a lot of the other um, songs that you hear that I think get dated and, and lost over time. Um, and I think that this movie like falls into like eighties pop song, tropey, tropey tropes, which is fine. Um, having said that, I also, I, I think the John Barry score, um, bringing it back to him is good, but they don't in the last movie, they really went very big with using the James Bond theme over and over and over again. So in this movie, I could see them only doing it a couple of times and then kind of shying away from it. I kind of wanted it more. That's kind of why you have Barry around to kind of play with it and improve it over time. And I think you don't see him improve upon the score until the next movie in living daylights. So it's kind of crazy that like they knew what's going on in movie cinema. You know, John Williams is already out there you know Horner is already playing but they are not like uh pushing it at all and they're just kind of relying on simple stuff I like the theme I like that they use the melody theme from the Duran Saran song a couple times but ultimately I think that this is not a great one that's why it gets a four from me so okay tallying them all up um I'm coming in at the lowest with a 48 Frank is coming in a little bit higher at a 58 and Mark, you're at a 65. So I think we're on similar pages that this movie is definitely a D or less <laughs> and that, you know, it's definitely not one of the apex class a James, James Bond features. Um, but a great film to rewatch. None the fucking less. Uh, final thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, it's, there's a lot of things to come away with. Like I remember May day as a character in, uh, in uh, golden eye. And it's like, Oh, where's she going to pop up? And here you go. So like it has some legacy there, which is cool. Um, I, <laughs> this is so trivial. Like I kind of hate the title of the movie. Yeah. Like t to me, every time I would read it, I would think like probably growing up, I always thought it was a view to kill and not a view to a kill, um, which is very different. Um, or a view to kill four would be like kind of cool. Obviously they say it in the movie and it has a meaning, but, um, so yeah, I, I like it. I, it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite Roger Moore, but uh, it was watchable and I didn't hate it. Anything else for you, Mark on this one? Uh, uh, I had trouble following the plot and I, uh, that makes me feel insecure about my own intelligence, but, uh, I do, I uh, think the I'm shaking my head because Mark is very smart. Uh, costumes and characters were kind of fun. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody. So this was another James Bond movie um, and the final of the Roger Moore era. So a couple of notes. So uh, we are going to be doing a Roger Moore wrap up. If you have any thoughts or concerns, comments, uh, please collect them and submit them to us so we can review them. If you're curious how you can find us, we are... Uh, www.longlostheroes.net you can find us on all the social medias at LLH Podcast on Instagram Facebook and Twitter you can send us an email info at longlostheroes.net um, please do so we can you know discuss more with you about this movie 
Um, we're going to be hitting the Roger Moore wrap-up, and then we are going to be working with our, it's weird to say sister podcast, our brother podcast, uh, <laughs> Game Brew, on wrapping up the Austin Powers trilogy with Goldmember, which I am super fucking pumped about. I cannot fucking wait to be off of Roger Moore for a little while. <laughs> Um, it'll be nice it will be be a great change you know we'll get some 70s in there we'll get some beyonce Knowles from the early 2000s we'll get some cameos we cannot even really talk about now i am ready to go um so yeah please tune in to the next few episodes um and then we'll probably be taking maybe a week or two off before we resume with the sean connery classics and uh, to end up with No Time to Die coming out maybe, potentially, possibly in theaters, at least in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay, uh, Mark, any plugs? Are you going to be on any shows? Are you going to be doing any things the fans can get out and see you, give you some money or anything? Uh, I'm going to be on a rooftop in Brooklyn doing stand-up comedy on, uh, on Wednesday uh for uh at, uh i think the the don't jump comedy show uh produced by farouk hussein and then on saturday uh comedy fight club which is like a roast battle show that used to be at the stand is on gas digital i helped them uh i'm gonna be opening for them and i, I helped uh book some fights with some local comedians uh for the undercard of it so anybody i know uh yeah probably a lot of people you know um it's gonna be uh, Jesse Montanez versus Rafael Hernandez. He's already building the propaganda, man. He's he's working really hard. Yeah, he's already going too far, which is good for a roast show. <laughs> um, Deanna Kobe versus Dave Namery. Another. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Oh. Two, two solid Jersey people. Uh, Tim Lowe versus Scott Holt. Ooh. And let's see oh devin hall versus brendan puff you might not know those guys but i'm very excited it's a lot of good fights the main event i believe is sandeep sen versus dan polzello so it should be a good time that that's tight as hell man and i wish everybody some luck and some good fights franks final thoughts i think that's it for me i think uh i don't have anything to plug just uh keep, keep looking out for our podcast i'm excited to keep going um, and then, uh, as AJ mentioned, Game Brew, we will be on their episode uh, coming up. We'll probably have more details with that um, in one of our following episodes. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. So early, uh, getting ready for school. We still got a lot going. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we got to do our yeah. summer reading. Summer reading still. Yeah, we we got a lot of homework still before before Labor Day. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, it was a blast hanging out with you tonight, and uh, we hope you check out the movie. Check out for the new episodes. Go follow Mark Henley on Instagram, and see you later. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.